Hi, this is Two Girls on a Bench, the podcast. So we're two writers who tend to procrastinate just a bit. We like to snack. We like to talk. We don't have time to write, but we have time to do this podcast. We certainly do. Join us on the bench. Listen in. At number two, Girls on a Bench. Podcast bringing you sweet tales of rapture from the high tides of music. Oh, I almost thought you said sweet tits. Like... Sweet, sweet tits too. Yeah, sweet tits, sweet tails. We got them all here. At rock candy, sweet tits and sweet tails here okay. at rock candy. That's new tagline. Coin yes. it. Gonna slap that on a t-shirt. You're welcome. We're your two hosts, ready to wine and dine you through this evening's program. I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. And, and yeah, that's yeah. I don't get I don't, that one, but I'm sure you'll. Oh explain no, later. there was nothing to that. I just oh, couldn't okay. think of anything more clever. Emphasis on the wine, mostly or, or beer. Yeah, mostly the beer. I don't. We drink. It's fine. This is fine. Speaking of wine, in this case, beer. On tonight's episode menu, we have the Blondie from Owls Brew. I said it right. You said it right. Owls Brew. <laughs> Proud of me. It is a tasty little Rattler. It's interesting that you mixed beer and tea and spices and citrus juice and agave nectar. That's a lot of things in one little it can. It's sweet. It's sweet. You got you to pace yourself with this one. Yeah. Not because of alcohol content, but because it's like, oh, this is like candy. Yeah. It's a little candy it, beer. It can make your belly hurt if you drink it too fast. Yeah. I'm going to have a stomach ache, but it's, gonna it's worth it. <laughs> one at it. a time. One at a time. They have a cute little owl on it. They do have a cute owl on it. And if the name didn't give it away, because again, July is fucking give it away month. It's But not to- red hot chili peppers give yeah. it away. Thank yeah. God. Let's well, never do an episode of We're going to oh, have come on, to. Why? It's happening. Why? It's happening. Why? If anything, I'm excited to do it. Well, that's all yours then. Hmm. But that's not who we're talking about tonight. Tonight we're talking about Blondie. <laughs> Yay. Yay. It's not Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yay. <laughs> Good news for you. Not, not Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. Yay. Awesome. All right. So Blondie, we all know their music. And if you say you don't, you're full of it. Shut up. Like, you know that you know Blondie's music. They have tons of hits, like Heart of Glass, Rapture, One Way or Another, Tide is High. Call Me. On, call Me, on and on and on. Mm-hmm. So many songs. So unless you've been living under a rock, you have heard at least one or another of them. Trust mm-hmm. me. There's even songs that I've heard in the past few days. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot Blondie sang that song. So trust me. You've probably heard it in a commercial at the very least. And with that said, even I have to admit, I know a ton of their music. I don't know shit about that band. <laughs> I don't. Like, when I went into researching for them, I'm like, I don't know anything about Blondie. Yeah, when I, I know Debbie Harry, and that is it. Yeah, when I read their uh, the quick overview of Blondie, I was like, oh, 
I didn't realize they called it quits so soon. Right. I thought that they were all throughout the 80s. I also totally think, not. I also think this month is not only obvious beer title month, but it's also obvious, like, they broke up real quick. <laughs> yeah. These bands didn't make it past five years. They really didn't. They really didn't. I A mean, if bands. you think about it. Um, well, all right. One couldn't help it, and I think these two did have reunions. So, spoiler alert, reunion yeah. will be happening in this and episode. technically, Guns N' Roses never really broke up. They just took a really long hiatus. And they were all real while, bitter and butthurt over while it. While Axl Rose went a little bit bonkers, but that's it's okay. okay. Every, you know what? Sometimes you just need a little time. Go a little crazy pants. It's fine. This is fine. <laughs> so, from their humble beginnings back at CBGB's, to their spontaneous rise to fame, Blondie is a band that worked constantly to get themselves on the map of music history. And as they were such a mixed bag of personalities, it's no surprise the levels of drama they would end up dealing with. <laughs> but anyway, let's go back to the beginning. I'm going to open right up with the face that immediately comes to mind whenever you hear the name Blondie. Debbie, Debbie Harry. Avi. So By the way, she looks fucking fantastic these days. Yo, like... She bitch is like 73. She looks good. She looks real good. And she's even admitted she's gotten work done, but it doesn't look like oh, she got work done. it's real good work. It's re- like, when I get older, if I have money, I'm gonna be like, who did Debbie Harry go to? <laughs> I will Give me nip them. tuck these wrinkles all up in my face. Yeah. It is fine. No, no judgments here. Because you look good, girl. She looks fantastic. Not that you need to look good, because, like, you also sound great, but not that you need to sound great. I'm sure you're a wonderful person. Whatever. So, born in Miami, (laughs) Florida, she was originally named Angela Trimble. However, she was given up for adoption after she was born. Fortunately, by three months old, she was adopted by the Harrys, who were gift shop owners in Hawthorne, New Jersey, and they changed her name to Deborah. Oh. Yeah. So... Debbie's adopted. Did not know that. So from Miami to New Jersey? Yeah. Wolf. Adoption's weird. I'm sure her parents are lovely. I'm still going with upgrade. And this was the 40s. Oh, yeah. Things were different. Um, Yeah, okay. (laughs) Her parents were always honest about her adoption. And as a teen, Debbie fantasized that she was the daughter of Marilyn Monroe. And this helped motivate her to be a person to stand out in the crowd, to be confident, and to go after what she wanted. Good for her. That's what Marilyn Monroe did. Yeah. Obviously, she is not the daughter of Miss Norma Jean. <laughs> and she always knew that, but helped her along. It's fun to pretend sometimes. It is fun to pretend. And as far as her birth parents go, Debbie attempted to track them down, but couldn't find her mother. And by the time she found her father, he had already passed away. Hmm. And she eventually also just got to the point where she was... More doing out of curiosity, maybe for medical, like, just seeing if there's any medical stuff in her family. But overall, she didn't feel like she was missing anything. She just was curious. Yeah. So. She was the basic rebellious teen, wore black, didn't cover herself up, like chasing the boys around. And this is the 50s, 60s, so this is all not cool. And on top of all that, she was very interested in the art scene. She knew she wanted to perform. So, she graduated college with a Bachelor of Arts degree and promptly headed to New York City when she was finished. And Debbie had a series of odd friends. (laughs) She dated David Johnson from the New York Dolls, hung out with Andy Warhol and Lou Reed. I was just going to say, she strikes me as the kind of person that you would see at one of those fucking weird Andy Warhol parties that he would have with, like, the most random 
people and like yeah she was she was 100 percent at those weird parties yeah it's like andy warhol and truman capote and yeah. a bunch of drag queens and like naked women in cages yeah that's 100 percent what debbie harry yeah. did back in those days yeah which or it's like those weird artsy people that were in hairspray you oh, never yeah. saw did you no, see I just, not the original Juana, not uh, it's the original one i can't even make that reference god damn it i'm sorry <laughs> So, in addition to odd friends, she also had odd jobs, from waitress at Max's Kansas City to secretary at BBC Radio to Playboy Bunny. Oh, yeah. She was a Playboy Bunny, oh, yeah, wasn't she? yeah, she was. For a short was, amount of time. But was she one of, like, the cocktail waitresses, or was she actually in the magazines? She was one of the cocktail waitresses. Ah. I think that she... She was in some punk versions of, like, a Playboy. I forgot the names of it, but she was kind of looked like a punk pinup. Okay. In the late 60s, she finally got a taste of musical performance when she joined the folk group The Wind and the Willows. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) It's exactly what it sounds like, in Uh, case you've never heard The Wind and the Willows. I'm thinking The Mamas and the Papas, but with Debbie Harry thrown in there. Yeah. So, like, it's The Mamas and the Papas, but a little more Manson family. (laughs) That's... It's a fantastic image. Yeah, that's what it's, it was. It's if Charles Manson's music career actually took off, and he maybe he did a little less drugs, like slightly Just a less. little, and wasn't dropped on his head so much as a kid, and wasn't a sociopath. All all of the above. Yeah, so it'd be the Manson family without <laughs> Charles Manson at the head of the Manson family. <laughs> yeah, that's how that works. Sure, that part checks out. Well, anyway, so they released a self-titled album in '68. That just barely broke into the top 200 chart. By 1974, they were disbanded, though. And it didn't really last too long. And it was a pretty fleeting thing. Nobody was super committed to it. Yeah, and I guess at that point, people were pretty much really saturated with folk rock bands. Yeah, I mean, and and this is post-Woodstock, Summer of Love. This is Vietnam War. Everybody's just angry. Nobody wants to hear Wind in the Fucking Willows. <laughs> they just don't. Yeah. And that was when Debbie joined another band called the Stilettos. It was a trio of ladies, including Debbie, Elda Gentile, and Amanda Jones. They never really became much, but it was while performing in this group that she met Chris Stein, who would not only become her boyfriend, but her bandmate as well. Chris was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. He was an only child who originally wanted to be an Egyptologist when he grew up. Me too. Wait, what? I was really into um ancient Egyptian art. Huh. I really, really liked it. I thought that was... Dude. I, okay. Egyptian history is fascinating. It is so cool. You have no... I won't even get into it. It's so cool. You were this close from just like nerding out Nerd on alert. Egypt. <laughs> Like, just for the next... Sorry, guys. So we stopped being a music podcast. We're We're just going to go straight into Egypt now. But apparently it's fascinating. It is. It was one of my favorite subjects in in college. Oh, yeah. I didn't... I mean... No, I I missed it. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Well, all of those dreams for Chris changed at age 11 when his parents bought him his first guitar. Passion for guitar? Like most, just... Here's a guitar. Learn to play it. Join a band. Do whatever you want. Get out of the fucking house. Get out of the fucking house. Here's a little 60s were weird trivia. He was kicked out of one of his high schools in his junior year for having hair that was way too long. 
So we had to go finish school somewhere else. <laughs> right? In New York City, they're like, your hair's too long. Can't you afford a fucking haircut? But at the same time, I kind of feel like kids are getting kicked out of school now for really dumb shit, too. Yeah. So kids have always been kicked out of school for dumb shit. Yeah, I guess. But Those like, the I've, I've heard of kids getting sent home to like change their clothes. I mean, where I went to school, you couldn't really do that because if they told you to go home, you had no way of getting home. Yeah, I was going to say. Because we all live like 15 miles away from our school in the middle of nowhere. Woof. And there's no public transportation. You can't take the bus home. There's no public transportation. Can't take an Uber home. <laughs> <laughs> Not in 1993, no. Back in 1993, Uber was that word that the kids used to mean something was very. Remember when we were like, oh, that's Uber cool. Wasn't that later? Yeah, I think that I don't remember. It's probably a little bit later. Yeah, but either yeah, way, it's uber cool. Oh man, that's uber. You're just saying it's over cool. Yeah, that's so stupid. Yeah, well, we weren't. We weren't the brightest yeah. American teenagers. Look, you know, honestly, teens are always dumb, and they're just different kinds of dumb. It's fine. Yeah, we just wanted to seem worldly. Yeah, I'm, it's German. I know one German word. I'm going to use it. Sprecher de Deutsch. That is so wrong. I know. <laughs> so, Sprecher so du Deutsch. Whatever. Or Sprechen Sie Deutsch. Oh, that's probably what I mean. And that is your German lesson for today. Man, Egyptian and German. We are worldly. I, You're so, welcome. I'm so fucking cultured. It's disgusting. It's oozing out of your orifices. <laughs> Stop getting it on my carpet. <laughs> so after high school, Chris just kept playing music and bounced around the scene in New York City until he met Debbie and they made an instant connection. He played with the stilettos for a flash, but they soon broke up and he started a band with Debbie called Angel and the Snake. They oh. have really good band names, by the way. The stilettos is really good. Angel, Angel and, and the, the snake. snake. Wind in the Willows, not so much. No, I don't think that was any, I don't think Debbie had any part in that one. I think that was just what it was when yeah. she showed up. Yeah. So alongside them were backup singers Tish and Snooky Bellamo, whose names you might not know, but I know you know the name Manic Panic. Yeah. So these were the ladies to open up a boutique turned hair dye brand in St. Mark's Place. And they made up Manic Panic. Oh. The boutique was called such, and they made all the hair dye. And so they were Blondie's backup singers, and they also did a lot of just, you know, punk scene shit. Well, you know, real talk right now, I don't like Manic Panic hair dye. Oh. I don't like it at oh. all. I'm clutching my pearls that don't yeah. exist on well, me right I now. I used to use it all the time when I was younger because it was the only weird color hair dye you could find. But... I, for some reason, whatever color the jar is, that's never what shows up when you use it on your oh. hair. Ever. Even yeah. if you bleach your hair white, it's never the same fucking color and it drives me nuts. I don't know. I love... That's like my old standby. Yeah. I never use I Manic Panic anymore. live by Manic Panic. Oh, thought I knew you. I need to get up now. <laughs> Who are you? Who even are you? Get out of here. Who hurt you? Ugh. <laughs> Manic Panic, apparently. <laughs> they did. Well. They were terrible. Here's a funny Maggie story to counteract your dislike for Manic Panic. I actually met Tish and Snooki. Oh, really? Yeah. It was really funny. A friend of mine knows this chick who works for Ricky's. And for those who don't know, Ricky's, Ricky's is, is like fantastic. the Sally's of New York City, but way better. But so much more. I it's found so 
a makeup bag there. The one and only time I ever went there, I found a makeup bag there that actually has my name on it and it's spelled correctly. Wow. <laughs> Correct. Correct. You were really, you were going to try to scoot over that and you're like, nah, I'm owning Co- it. It's correctly. <laughs> yeah, no, Ricky's is fucking amazing. And some of them are salons. Some of them it's are just the like, places to buy shit, but some of them they'll do your hair. But it's like a salon plus Sally's. Plus Spencer's. Yeah. All mixed together in one. It's amazing. I fucking, I miss Ricky's so much. Yeah. That was my place to go to. So a friend of mine knew a chick who was a stylist at Ricky's and apparently Manic Panic was putting out a new line and they wanted to sample it on people and they wanted to test it out. And normally my friend would go and do it and she was like, oh, I can't make it. Do you want to go? And I'm like, yes. And so I'm sitting there getting my hair did and in come these two women who are just like, these badass older women who just like they're so fucking they're still like 70s 80s punk looking like who who you and i want to be when we're in our 70s yeah like they're they are who we can only hope to be when we are yeah. in our i think they're in their 60s mm-hmm. arguably 60s maybe 70s i don't know anyway point is so i'm getting my hair did they come in and she's like oh my god tish and snooki are here and i'm like who <laughs> so she explained to me you know exactly who tish and snooki were and i'm like oh <laughs> Oh. oh, and of course, Maggie, because I'm so fucking eloquent just... and graceful, didn't make myself look like a de- hi. As you're sitting there with foils in your hair, pretty much, and I'm like shaking their hands. I'm like hi, and they're like, oh, she's, oh, this poor muffin. Oh, this girl has no chill. Oh, this girl has no like. I had Chloe face. <laughs> I'm just like my brain is exploding. But they were super lovely. They were very nice. They were on their way to some event, and they were just talking about. You know how things used to be back in the day when the scene and like shit wasn't super expensive in St. Mark's and it was like real vintage and just, I don't know, they were just, they were real cool chicks. I really fucking liked them. So props to you, Tish and Snooki. I have nothing against them. It's not their fault it's that not, their hair doesn't work not on, or their dye doesn't work on your hair. It's not them. It's the dye. That's fair. Okay. I'll let you have it. Okay. So continuing. The band themselves renamed themselves pretty quickly to Blondie. They found that Angel and the Snake was too much of a name to remember. So Blondie came about because that's what so many dudes would cat call to Debbie. Huh. Yeah. Ironically, Angel and the Snake totally sounds like some garbage emo band that would be around today. Oh, see, I thought it sounded like a really sweet hair metal band from the 80s. That's, oh. I feel like hair metal band from the 80s should be like one word. Yeah, all right. Like, or White Snake, or Poison. Oh yeah, Aerosmith. Well, but you have like Guns and Van Roses. Halen. Maybe you could have like Angels and Snacks. <laughs> <laughs> snakes and Barrels. Yeah, Snakes and Barrels. That's that's what it is. That's my favorite '80s hair metal band. Well, easily. It's <laughs> no question. If you know Snakes and Barrels, then you know the best metal band ever. <laughs> Next to Doctor Roxo. <sighs> Rock and roll clown. He does cocaine. <laughs> so Blondie became a standard fixture at both Max's Kansas City and, of course, the one and only CBGB's. Coming with them from the stilettos was Billy O'Connor on drums and Fred Smith on bass. Both would leave, though. Fred actually left them to join the band Television. I don't know them. They're, they were a punk band, 70s, 80s, also a big fixture at CBGB's. Okay. They had some smaller hits. There at that time, that was 100% an upgrade for him. So <laughs> I don't blame him for leaving. They okay. didn't either. They're like, oh no, bro, you got to do what you got to do. 
So Billy was replaced with Clem Burke, who didn't even have an audition. He recalls that he just went to meet with Debbie and Chris, and they really liked his shoes or his hair. <laughs> he just had the look they wanted, so he was in. All right, good like, enough. When he interviews about it, he's like, I don't know, they liked the way I looked, so I stayed. <laughs> you didn't have to play for him. I was like, good for you. Sometimes kids just look good, and, and you'll get in. Show up dressed for the job that you want. So I should always show up just dress like dressed an astronaut. Like, oh my god, yes. <laughs> Who am I, Liz Lemon? Or dress like David Bowie, whichever one. I'll never be David Bowie. God damn it. But if you keep dressing like him, someday you will be. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. That's how it works, right? Yes. <laughs> or they'll commit me finally. Whatever. Mm-hmm. So to finalize their lineup, they would recruit bassist Gary Valentine and keyboard player Jimmy Destry. They agreed a keyboard really rounded out their sound, and from there they were ready to start recording their first album. At the time, Blondie was signed with Private Stock Records. And it was on this label they released their debut self-titled album. Mm-hmm. One of the tracks called X Offender was written by Gary Valentine and originally called Sex Offender. It was about an 18-year-old boy who was arrested for having sex with his underage girlfriend. Oh. Well, Debbie liked the song, but decidedly changed the lyrics to be about a prostitute who was attracted to her arresting officer. Oh. Yeah. It's catchy too. It is a catchy. You know what? It is fucking catchy. Upgrade? Yeah. I guess. Obviously the label said, yeah, no, you you can't call it Sex Offender. Yeah. So they changed it to X Offender. This album had no commercial success in the US when it was released. However, it reached number 75 in the UK and 14 in Australia after a music television show called Countdown accidentally played the B-side to X Offender called In the Flesh, which was the more popular song there. So that accidentally skyrocketed them. All right. Blondie was accidents happen. Yeah, it might have also just been like maybe the DJ was like, "Ah, fuck it, I like this song better. We're playing this song." <laughs> yeah, which worked out for them. Blondie was very much loved in Australia. One time in December 1977, while they were touring to promote their album, they ended up canceling a performance in Brisbane because Debbie was ill. The fans were so upset they almost started a riot. <laughs> like I can't imagine Blondie fans being like I'm gonna fucking riot man I don't know those Australians can be crazy yeah I'm I'm not even mad I'm impressed they discovered a part of the reason it did so poorly back home was because private stock wasn't spending the money it needed to in order to get more attention they weren't even really marketing it all that much they so, just let it sit and hoped somebody in the U.S. would like it enough to get more airplay. So how were they getting all of this airplay in, in the U.K. and Australia? I think, again, we're touching on my very limited record deal contract knowledge, but I think in the U.S. it's all a bit different. Mm-hmm. It's all a lot more about paying the record p- companies to play your music as opposed to, I think, in the U.K. and in other countries, they're just kind of, you send it over and they're like, oh, we like it, we'll play it. The fans like it, we'll play it. Yeah. You know? Hmm. So I think it's more along those lines. Or maybe you just don't have to pay as much to get your shit played over there. Maybe. And so they figured we don't have to pay as much, so we're not going to. But isn't that like, that's, that's, you're not supposed to pay people to play your music. That's illegal. That's the whole payola thing. There's a lot of things that are illegal in the music industry. (laughs) That still happen. Boom. 
So I don't know exactly. You're you're dealing with my limited music knowledge. Someday I will. I'm slowly but surely trying to learn more. Well, with this discovery, their manager Peter Leeds decided to buy out their contract in order to get them on a better label. Private Stock initially wanted a million dollars, but Peter bargained with them as this was a ridiculous price. That is a crazy price. They settled for five hundred thousand. Still. Still. And he knew, too, when he was doing this, he thought, I don't know about this. I'm crazy, but I'm doing it. Like, how? where did they even get that money from? Well, initially they didn't have it, but they decided to go with an independent label this time around and, apo- and approached Chrysalis Records. Peter invited co-founder Terry Ellis to New York City to see Blondie perform. Of course, Terry was immediately enamored with Debbie and saw the potential the band had to make it big. So they signed them and helped them to pay for getting the contract Ah, out of private stock. Gotcha. And it was with Chrysalis that they put out their second album, Plastic Letters. This time they managed to break the U.S. chart, peaking at number 78, and their popularity in the U.K. and Australia still going strong. They loved them. Like, you keep playing over here. See, this is another... Example of how the UK was on top of shit that the US should have been on top of and sorely missed out on. We miss out a lot of times when it comes to, I think, cultural and pop things. What the fuck's the problem, man? (laughs) I don't know. It's so stupid. But then we'll take things from other countries or cultures and be like, no, we originated this. Oh, this is ours now. Sure, America. This is ours. This is, we, this was always ours. (laughs) I roll. Anyway. On the album, they had a single called Dennis, which was a cover of Randy and the Rainbow's hit, Denise. And the next single, I'm Always Touched by Your Presence, Dear, was written by Gary right before he left the band to start his solo career. Like many bands we have covered before, Blondie is no exception to having a hard time holding on to bassists and other players. For for bassists and drummers being so hard to come by. Yeah. What, how do these bands go through so many? Yeah. I don't get it. Well, because I might argue that probably a lot of time bassists and drummers don't feel like they get the recognition they deserve, maybe? I mean, yeah, understandable, but they are the backbone of, backbone of the band. Oh, no, they are. I mean, you will have no rhythm or beat if you get rid of your bassist and drummer. Right. I don't know. I don't really, you know what? That would be, if I was more scientific, that would be a really cool study to do. Why can't bitches hold on to bassists and drummers, though? <laughs> the three constants in Blondie would always remain as Debbie, Chris, and Clem, though. Mm-hmm. They were always around. Clem is such a terrible name. It's not the best name. Is, is it short for something? Clement? Clementine? Oh. That would be cute you know, if it's his weird, name was Clementine. Clementine's a cute name. Arguably. Yeah. You know, I did have a really weird urge to name my child Clementine that I'm never going to have. Yeah. I'll name one of my ovaries Clementine. Name your next dog Clementine. Oh, that would be a cute dog name. Or your or a guinea pig. I I will get a guinea pig and name it Clementine. Mm, I'm never <gasps> that would be doing so cute. Never doing small <gasps> animals again. I love guinea pigs. I mean, they're cute, but I just uh, cages. But there's you can give them a huge cage and they can run around and make their squeaky noises. Mm, cages suck to clean. They do, but they're guinea pigs. Mm. Come on. Eventually, they recruited both Frank Infante and Nigel Harrison for guitar and bass, respectively, thus making Blondie a six-piece band just in time for them to truly hit it big. During the second half of 1978, 
Blondie released their third album, Parallel Lines, which would be the one to break them into mainstream success. It was released in September, and by April of 79, it would reach number six on the album chart in America. It's so weird to think uh, that this album came out before you and I were alive. Yep. <laughs> because for some reason, Blondie for, was just a band that I remember growing up with. Yeah. I remember music videos. Mm -hmm. I remember hearing their music all the time. Oh, yeah. I was always aware of who they were. Yeah. But, spoiler alert, they broke up before we were even born. Yeah. So weird. Yeah, that shit's real weird. Radio's weird. Radio's a thing. Radio is a thing. Not really Our parents anymore, are a thing, too. Mm -hmm. I think arguably my mom must have liked at least a handful of Blondie songs. I don't even think my parents like them very much. But like, I don't think they were a thing with my parents, but I'm, I feel like my mom would really be into, like, the tide is high. Yeah. And maybe Rapture. Yeah. Or something. Maybe. I don't know. A big element that improved Blondie's sound came in producer Mike Chapman. While they were touring to promote their previous album, they came across the Australian producer in L.A. Peter saw the potential right away, and with the help of Chrysalis, they negotiated for Mike to work with them on their next album. The band was overall excited about this new opportunity, except for Debbie. She was afraid he was too L.A. for their New York roots and sound. She feared he wouldn't get it. Okay. When they finally Understandable. met- Understandable. Yeah, she was just kind of- LA is a weird place. LA is- I would be hesitant to. Even back then, LA was a weird place. Yeah, and they knew it. And New York punk was just different. Yeah, and- <laughs> When they finally met to begin recording, they played for him a handful of songs, and overall, he wasn't, like, really all that impressed. Oh, really? Were you LA boy? Mm. Not impressed? It Whatever. seems like maybe Debbie's fears weren't so far off base. Hmm. 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 Upon asking the band if they had anything else, they sheepishly responded with, Well, we got this old one, and that old one just happened to be the one to pique his interest. While this album contains a few hit singles, one could argue it was Heart of Glass that really got them noticed. Mm -hmm. And that song would not have become the top-notch jam that it is without Mike Chapman. Okay. So it was written by Debbie and Chris in the mid-70s. Heart of Glass was originally called Once I Had a Love and had a much slower, kind of basic disco beat. They were inspired by the by the song Rock the Boat by the Hughes Corporation. I don't even know what that is. Yes, you do. Do I? Rock the boat, don't rock the boat, oh, baby. Okay. Rock I the never boat, knew don't who tip the it. boat over. <laughs> I never knew you who totally sang it. totally know Rock the Boat. Don't rock the boat. They attempted it in different styles, Tried ballad, reggae, nothing worked. They just couldn't get the song to sound the way they wanted it. While Blondie played around with slight disco sounds before, it was with Mike's encouragement and guidance that helped them to go full disco with this one. Which I find so weird. It's such a weird thing because they were pretty punk before. They were like kind of a mainstay in CBGBs, so you would think that they would be 100% anti-disco. But yeah, they but, weren't. You know, a lot of their songs, too, had a very old-timey, like, doo-wop feel. They had a lot they of reggae a, influence, yeah. which I I would say is kind of the link between disco and punk. Because mm -hmm. you could find elements of both in both genres, even though the two of them are completely opposite ends. Right. So, I guess I can understand, but... 
I would think that people would be pretty upset that they would go kind of full disco after being a CBGB's band for so long. Well, they actually used to cover disco songs all the time at CBGB's. Hmm. Yeah, they would do like Donna Summer's I Feel Love. They even did like Lady Marmalade. They would just do a lot of weird shit. They, I didn't really realize this until I went back and listened through their discography. They experiment with a lot of different sounds. Like you said, reggae. They had elements of disco in some of their songs. And a lot of doo-wop, oldies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did covers of Buddy Holly songs. Like They tried different things. So arguably, it was one of those things where I feel like if you didn't know Blondie that well, you'd be surprised. But I feel like if you knew Blondie, then you you've, seen her, the, you've seen them live enough, you would say, oh, yeah, no, this shouldn't surprise me too much. It was an eventual step. Yeah. That's kind of how I look at it. And I guess if they're trying to break into the mainstream, it it's the most logical next step. And again, they are working with this L.A. producer who's trying to get them broken out. Yeah. They're, he's going to say, all right, disco's hot. Let's do this. <laughs> So hot right now. Get on this fucking train. Get on that disco train. Woo woo. Well, obviously, Heart of Glass comes out. It's a big hit. And they actually are credited with probably making the first dance rock song. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're, they're, they're also opening up doors that hadn't really been opened up before. Right. Which is nice. But of course, as this is the punk scene, Uh and like you predicted, with this success... They are immediately accused of selling out. Of course. Because punk. Because punk is kind of the worst. Are you successful? Fuck you, you're a sellout. Yeah. Get it. Like, they were mad. They thought that they were writing this song to just kind of pander to the masses. But, and I get that. But like you said, they had already been experimenting with so many different kinds of music. Exactly. That... If this is what makes this song a good song, then they're going to fucking go with it. Right. And And also, it happens to be a huge hit, so fuck off, bros. Seriously. And it works so well with Debbie Harry's voice. Yeah. I mean, she has such kind of this ethereal sound that she can do pretty much whatever the fuck she wants. Yeah. And make it work. Mm -hmm. So, back the fuck off, haters. (laughs) Right. Actually... And the year before, Debbie actually said in an interview with NME that she really enjoyed electronic disco and cited it as an influence. It Overall, it just sounds to me more like they were leaning in on a sound they were already getting to. Yeah. And also, them punks need to realize that just because you're in a punk-influenced band or you like punk music doesn't right. mean that that's the only thing you can do. Yeah. You can do so much. You don't have to be pigeonholed. That's the exact opposite of what punk is. Yeah. The whole point is to be different. So why can't you be a little bit different than the punk scene? Well, you can be different, but once you make success with yeah. your difference, like, then you're a fucking asshole. You can be different from society by being punk, but you can't be different from punk by being slightly to the left of punk. Right. It's one or the other. It's one or the other, and that's so stupid because you're just being... Punk is just being mainstream. Right conformity right it's so stupid yeah my mind but is it's fucking exploding but it's their mainstream conformity so it's different I, it's not it's not different it's not, though. It's not it's different not. it's the same fucking thing and in defense of blondie too they've always i don't know at this point but in their early days at cbgb's they were kind of a joke 
People didn't take them seriously at first. Yeah, I can imagine they're going they up against didn't. television, the Ramones. Right. You know, these are the bands that people are into. Nobody really likes Blondie because they are a little bit, they are a little poppy. Yeah. You know, they're not just this strict three chord driving force the way punk usually is. Right. So they're trying different things and people are like, oh, Blondie's weird. And even the Ramones said, because one time there was a picture taken of Debbie Harry, like, rolling around on stage, you know, being punk. She has a very high energy performance personality. Mm-hmm. They all do. They they put on very energetic shows. And she was wearing just, like, this long t-shirt and, like, you could see her panties when she was rolling around on stage. And the Ramones were like, well, you know, people be into us if we could roll around and show our panties off, too. And it's like, really, bros? Oh, fuck off. Really, bros? So she got a lot of flack because the whole band, I should say, got a lot of flack because like we have this female lead singer and she's all hot and stuff. So you guys are cheating and yeah. Or she's just a really good musician. So whatever. They're, They're a good band with good performance energy. So fuck off. She can also wear whatever the fuck she wants. So it almost seemed like whether they were successful or whether they weren't. The punk scene weren't going to take them yeah. seriously. I would like to see... Actually, no. I don't want to see all the Ramones in a t-shirt and underwear rolling around on stage. <laughs> but please, <laughs> that would have been great. That would have been really funny. <laughs> I just, that would have been great. I want to see that. Oh my god, I want to live in the alternate universe where that happened. Lacy panties and like one of those ringer shirts oh, god. that they all wore. Oh, oh no. Me a denim jacket. <laughs> the fucking <And> Joey. <laughs> and and Converse. And Converse. Oh, yeah. And they, they have to wear the Converse. <laughs> they cannot take those off. God damn oh, it. Oh, no. Oh, yep. I want it. <laughs> you can have it. That's oh, all I, I mean, it's, you know, it's funny. I feel like it would be like, you know, Blink-182 is like, we're all naked. But, like, funnier. But, like... <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to see you naked, Blink-182. Stop it. Yeah. I'm all right with never seeing them naked. Again? Also, I never need to see Red Hot Chili Peppers naked ever again, again either. Yeah. yeah, it's not... Yeah, I don't need to, I don't need that. Yeah. There were a lot of dudes who would go on stage naked. Not enough women. Except for Wendy O. Williams. Except for Wendy. Fucking... That Bless her heart. Ass bitch. I love that lady. Rip. God. Pour one out for Wendy. (laughs) As far as creating the album on a whole, the process wasn't quite as magical. Mike Chapman recalled that Blondie was one of the worst bands he had worked with as far as talent goes. What? He only found Frank and Fonte to be worth any praise. One day, Mike went into the studio and told them, quote, you are going to make a great record and that means you are going to start playing better. Wow. Yeah. And play better they did. I mean, arguably, if you listen to Parallel Lines, it's their whole sound and just their structure and their pacing, just everything was a lot better. It was tighter. Yeah. And and it seemed more realized. Their concepts seemed more realized almost. And more professional. Yeah. So it, he wasn't wrong. It's not that they were bad. It's just that he's probably used to working with like ridiculous level and he's right now working with these New York punk kids. Yeah. It sounds like they were kind of just lazy. Oh, they were. That is <laughs> precisely. Yeah. Well, so they played better. However, they did not get along. At this point, the band was dealing with a lot of inner turmoil. A six-piece band means six personalities to have an opinion on how they should be doing things. And typical 70s drug use, not really helping them. Oh. 
That's yeah. Just layers. Yeah. Upon layers. You already have these strong personalities, and then they're all just doing coke. Uh, their thing was coke? Oh, everybody's thing was coke. It was the 70s. Yeah, true. Coke, coke was real big in the 70s. Yeah. I think it was like 80, 80s, 90s when heroin became the thing. Yeah. And then heroin. it became bath salts and shit. Yeah. I miss the days when it was just cocaine. <laughs> don't you? Don't yeah. you? Don't Good old days. Those are the days. You got to remember when it was just coke. <laughs> Keeping it nice and simple. Just coke and... Apparently, Debbie Harry said once that they would give them so much coke that they actually would turn it away. Who is they? The record companies and the managers and, like, the people in charge because they wanted them to just always be fucking working. Oh, my God. So they would just, here's some coke, here's some coke, just go for it, just keep going. And coke makes you a little strung out and jittery. Just give me all of the caffeine you have. Oh, sometimes it doesn't work, though. But, but just give me, like supercharged death wish coffee mm. and i'm i'm good i do i do like me some death wish get to the point where that's the only one that does anything anymore right also kids go drink death wish death wish coffee local brewers it's local it's fucking delicious and it's fucking delicious and it really is strong it is but it's, not in a bad way it's but a it's good fantastic way. it's like it gives you a nice mellow excitement yes <laughs> That's what we're going with. Going with also, it. Also, makes fantastic cold brew. Ugh, it just smells good. It's fantastic. Do it. Drink it. Yeah. Mike found them to be of the usual punk branding. Just want to have fun. Didn't want to work hard. So like you said, they were kind of lazy. Yeah. They just did the minimal and that was good enough for them. And they were all pretty moody to top it off. One day, Nigel Harrison was so frustrated with their producer's constant perfectionism that he threw a synthesizer at him. <laughs> right? <laughs> to a fucking synthesizer at Mike Chapman. He's like, fuck you! That's I'm you being perfect. And Mike Chapman's like, what the fuck? He, Mike Chapman's even come out and been like, they're really kind of violent sometimes. <laughs> Which is so... Just weird because they just seem like the most mellow band in the world. Right? Like, Mike Chapman, what did you do to them? I don't think he did anything. (laughs) I think they were always like this. They just hit it really well. It was all the coke. (laughs) They hit it behind all the coke. Mm. Is that possible? I'm like, I'm trying to figure out the logistics to that. I mean, I guess you could. You could hide it behind marijuana. You can always hide things behind marijuana. But I don't think you can hide anything behind coke. I think you'd be too proud. <laughs> like, yeah, my coke, fuck you. I'm going to throw a synthesizer at you. Fuck you. Fuck you, fuck you. Yeah, sounds like a good idea. Yeah, we'll do a good idea. Right I'm going to throw a fucking synthesizer right in your fucking face. This is perfect enough, isn't it? Hey, Mike. You like perfection? Here's this. Think fast. Think fast. I don't know. I've never been on coke. I feel I don't like know. I'm Harry Carey right now. <laughs> yeah. You're not? Hey, Norm. <laughs> If you were a hot dog, you were starving, would you eat yourself? Oh my god. Cubs win! Cubs win! Oh my god. You can take that out. No, but keep that. That's staying. That was my Will Ferrell impression of Harry Carey. The only ones who got along were obviously Debbie and Chris. But I hope so. Yeah, they they were fine. Debbie and Chris were fine. But on her own, Debbie was arguably her own level of dramatic. 
Sometimes she'd break into tears while recording, so they'd have to stop until she was ready to start back up. Did she have depression? Mm, I don't know about depression, but she definitely did a lot of cocaine. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) She, when Debbie recalls these times, she doesn't blame it so much on the drugs as she does on the stress. I think she was very stressed because they're going and they're going and they're going. Yeah. And they're not stopping. And she's working with this guy that she's never worked with before who's like, dude, you have talent, but you got to work harder. Yeah. So she's probably under a lot of pressure. So I'll give it to her. But cocaine probably doesn't help. Probably not. Probably magnifies them emotions. Mike did think that Debbie had an amazing voice. So he was willing to take a slightly more kid glove approach with her as opposed to everyone else. Mm -hmm. Because he wanted to get that sound. And he knew that was the only way he was going to do it. It took more time, but he did help her to develop a better technique, especially when it came to phrasing, timing, and just her overall attitude while singing. Well, that's pretty good. She really did improve with his help. I mean, she was always good, but man, doesn't it feel good to step it up a bit? I'll take it. However, what was funny is that Debbie wasn't always ready to lay down the vocal track. Some songs were still being worked on during the recording. For example, Sunday Girl and One Way or Another were both being put on paper moments before she went up to sing them. Hmm. He would say, all right, you ready to go? And she's like, just a couple more minutes. I'm writing it down. <laughs> so, I mean, shit, I can't work under pressure like that. Yeah, That's no. why I couldn't write a fucking opening today because you, were, I waited till you got here. And I'm like, ah, oh, shit, I can't do this. So I can only imagine Debbie being like, I can do this. Hold on. You're all staring at me. I got this. Fuck you. Well, that's why it takes me like 30 minutes of staring at my Instagram to try and think of a caption for all of the pictures we post. But here's the thing. You make it worth it? I arguably still don't. (laughs) I don't think so. You know what a hashtag is? (laughs) I don't. Initially, Chris Alice was skeptical about the album. And the executives told them that they had to start the process all over again to give them something what? better. Mm-hmm. Fuck that. Didn't love the that album. Is, that said is, they wanted something else. That is when I say, fuck you, I'm going to nursing school or something. Right? Nurses make money, right? Right? I mean, I I'm not so married to this that I can't just leave. <laughs> Mike Chapman was also having none of that shit. Yeah. He just sat with them and convinced them that the album is going to be popular. You need to leave it alone. Mm -hmm. And so after enough negotiating, they left it as it was. Because he was like, I can't do this shit no more. (laughs) None of us can. There are not enough synthesizers in this world. Which is good for him. Right. (laughs) Who knows what would have happened if they had to go back into the studio. I'm going to assume homicide. But I can tell you what did happen is that Blondie finally began to be the name that they always wanted to be. Up in life, everybody was like, Blondie's the name we're talking about. Now the masses were finally noticing Blondie. And let me tell you, if you check out their covers of their albums, you watch their videos, a blonde bombshell like Debbie, total standout against five white guys with similar haircuts and colors, And sometimes even same outfits. Yeah. And honestly, I couldn't pick any of those dudes out from a lineup. I can tell Nigel because he has crazy ass curly hair. Jimmy has a very distinct face. I have a hard time with Clem and Chris. Mm -hmm. And Frank too. So the three of them I have a hard time with. Nigel and Jimmy, I can point them out. 
So, if you look at enough pictures, you can figure it you out. Figure but it out. Really, when everyone hears Blondie, they think of Debbie. They think of Debbie. She's the singer, and she just she's stands out. Gorgeous, and she's bleach blonde. Yeah. And, yeah. And again, I mean, it's not like the dudes were really doing much to stand out for themselves. Exactly. And and I'm not saying they had to. Just you know. But it it. It Debbie's didn't help, gonna stand out. It didn't help distinguish them at all. No. To all look similar and then to dress similar. It's not like Limp Biscuit where you knew who Wes Boylan was because he wore fucking black contacts. And a monkey suit. And a monkey suit. <laughs> I had such a crush on him. Everybody <laughs> did. I don't understand why. I don't know. Every new middle new metal chick. In, like, the early 2000s had such a crush he on him. He played a seven-string guitar. That's impressive. Nobody knew what that meant. <laughs> nope. Nobody <laughs> knew what that meant. Also, what is a seven-string guitar? It's just a guitar with seven Which, strings instead of six. why do you need that extra, extra string? string. <laughs> so now you can play more notes. Be- All the notes. Because Wes Boylan needs more notes. Well, he stood out, didn't he? Yeah. Also, it didn't help that... Fred Durst was a dick face. Yeah. <laughs> I guess Wes... Arguable dick face. Wes was a... Uh, Ooh, that's another good band name. Arguable dick face. Arguable dick face. I'm putting that one on the list. It's good, good backstory, too. It's, it's inspired by Fred Durst. <laughs> Arguable dick face. <laughs> well, you can probably surmise where I'm going with this whole bit. Yeah. Through no fault of her own, Debbie garnered a bit more notoriety than her fellow bandmates. When Blondie was asked to be interviewed, they spent most of it, if not all of the focus, on Debbie. Of course, this creates more tensions and more bitterness within the group. You know, they're like, well, we're a group. We're a band. It's not just Debbie. Everybody just wants to talk to Debbie. Does this sound like another band that maybe we would know really well? Are you talking to me? Yeah. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) The first... Yeah, this very I mean, much. Like, I mean, like, yes, the audience, but they can't answer me. You can. I can. Yes. My response is 100% no doubt. No doubt. No doubt. Yes, no doubt. It is a very similar story to that. And I mean, even with the bandmate dating and everything. And the and even a blonde, blonde. front woman who mm-hmm. is very attractive getting all the attention. And I guess. It was through no fault of Gwen Stefani's own. I don't think she meant to do that. I guess not. Sometimes, and I, I'm going to look at it the same way I look at it with Debbie. It's like you're, you're getting famous, you're getting popularity, and there's probably even extent of being like you realize what's going on, but you're thinking, but this is how we're going to make it, guys. Yeah, this is and if how you we're gonna fucking make it off of my looks or whatever, then that's just how we're going to have to fucking do right. it. And arguably. The band's name is Blondie, and you have a good-looking, blonde-haired front woman. Yup. I can't really blame people for thinking that maybe the band is all about Debbie. Yeah. Especially when the rest of the band looks like the backup band. Yeah. Like, with no doubt, everybody in the band is distinctive-looking. Yes. You know who's who. Yeah. And you still have the good-looking front woman. Mm Mm-hmm. Who's still getting all the attention? I can't blame them for being upset no. over that. Completely, one hundred percent. They didn't really do it on their own. There was probably an element of, 
you know, this is our ticket in. Yeah. Granted, No Doubt was together for like 10 years before they even made it big. Right. But, you know, if you're together for 10 years, you're struggling to make it and you see that you're getting popular because you have a good looking front woman, you're kind of going to go with it. Just roll with it, man. And but I, still, I know it sucks. Yeah. And it's, and it's frustrating because I totally understand how they're upset. Both yeah. bands. I yeah, completely yeah. understand why they would be upset, but you have to look at it in the sense that, well, this is probably going to happen. Yeah, humans suck, and we're just going to be, yeah. like, looking at the shiny thing. Yeah. Sorry. But at the same time, they were very good about sharing writing credits. Everybody had their own chance to write, and so arguably right. then everyone's getting their own share of the cut when they write their own songs. Everybody's at least getting to write and say what they want to say. Mm-hmm. At least from that's what it sounds like. You know, they all split things. So, yeah, it sucks. But you got to just take you gotta take your cuts where you can take them, I guess. Yeah. I kind of feel like it was a much bigger deal with No Doubt than it was for Blondie. But then yeah. again, I wasn't alive when Blondie was actually around. So yeah, really actually. Know. The thing that, again, they're already not really getting along. Right. So. And they've only been together for a few years. Yeah, since like. 78, 77, 78. 70, yeah, 77 is probably a better guesstimate. But yeah, the point is, cocaine doesn't help. <laughs> Kids. Doesn't really help, guys. Coke doesn't help anything. Won't help, yeah. So not wanting to lose momentum that they got from Parallel Lines, Blondie went back into the studio to record their fourth album, Eat to the Beat. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to, though. You gotta. <laughs> This time they came in with more drugs and more fights. Yay! But on the bright side, they also came in with an open mind creatively and were willing to work a bit harder. Chris Alice decided to create not just an album with audio, but visual as well. They brought in David Mallet, known for such groundbreaking videos as Bowie's Ashes to Ashes and Queen's Radio Gaga, hmm. to create a music video for each song on the record to make the first ever video album in hopes huh. that this would kind of make it, you know, just... Spurred up a little bit more. But despite all the work put into it and it being generally enjoyed by the critics, this album didn't manage to meet to reach the level of success in the U.S. that the previous one did. It only hit number 17. However, in the U.K., things were still kicking it up with them reaching number one. Because the U.K. just fucking knows where it's at. U.K. gets it. Their next big single, Call Me, was brought to life as a collaboration with Giorgio Moroder, who used it for the American Gigolo soundtrack, which he composed. He first asked Stevie Nicks to help him with it, but she turned him down due to contract restraints. Or too much Coke. Not enough Coke? Not enough? Probably not enough. Con that's the contract restraints was that there was not enough Coke in the Ooh, contract. I see, I see you only have two tables worth of Coke. I'm going to need at least three. I need like a Scarface amount of Coke. Yeah. Can, I need to be able to I, do that scene in Scarface like, every morning. But like times eight. Because I need to do it eight times a day. Eight days a week. Woof. <laughs> That's a lot of coke. That's a lot of coke. <laughs> That's a lot of coke. So instead he worked with Debbie, who wrote a melody and lyrics based on the point of view of Richard Gere's character from the film. The song was number one for six weeks in the US, and it was eventually knocked out by Funky Town. Ah! <laughs> Okay, so American Gigolo was, um, is that the one with, no, had John Gere. Voight? Look, I never saw no. it. No. You know who what you're asking, American right? Gigolo? 
I know Richard Gere was in it. Midnight Cowboy was the one with um, John Voight and uh, Dustin Hoffman, right? You're looking at me like a deer in the headlights. (laughs) Why are you asking me about movies? This is why we don't do a movie podcast. I don't know anything about movies. Oh, okay. Well, I think Midnight Cowboy was that one. And I always get the two mixed up. Always. I I have never seen American Gigolo. All I know is that Richard Gere plays a prostitute. Okay, then yeah, I've never seen it. And and I think the tagline was something along the lines of like, he leaves every woman satisfied except one. And then she kills him? I think it's basically Pretty Woman, but Richard Gere's the prostitute this time. Oh. Mind freak. Woke. (laughs) <laughs> that is woke. It's, well, it's woke because it came out before. Pre- you know what? It doesn't. None of this matters. I'm just saying it's the guy that's the prostitute this time, not the woman. He's a gigolo. Yeah. Thank you. Not a prostitute. Just a gigolo. Oh God! Why didn't they just cast fucking David, David Lee Roth? Because he wasn't really. He wasn't di- just a he, gigolo yet. He wasn't just a gigolo yet. He was just at that time. He was just DLR. <laughs> Soon after release of the newest single, they went back to the studio to, yep, work on another album. Again. Yep. They released Auto American in November of 1980, developing a more mature sound for themselves, and it contained two more of their giant hits, The Tide is High and Rapture. Rapture's interesting because many think of it as the first rap to ever occur in popular music, but it was actually the first rap to hit number one in popular music charts. Right, because wasn't rap already happening? It was happening. It wasn't mainstream. It was happening, it wasn't mainstream, yes. That's exactly what it was. And it it wasn't the first rap song, and Blondie doesn't take any credit as being any kind of rap pioneers. They were just simply fans trying something out. Yeah, and arguably, it it's not a rap song, Mm-mm. period. It anyway. has a little snippet of rap, of rap in it. In it. And that's it. But I believe, oh, it was Grandmaster Flash. And Fab the, Five Freddy. And Fab Five Freddy who had the first actual rap hit. Grandmaster Flash, yeah. Yeah. Who, it, I, I want to say it was shortly after this or around the yeah, same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not a rap song. No. Stop saying it's a rap song. It's not a it's rap not. song. It's not. There the, is a, it's like basically like. It is the first song with a rap within it to hit number one, which is so yeah. fucking and it's not, technical. They don't even count it as any kind of revolutionary and thing. And I would say it's not really even rap. It's it's a spoken word segment that's kind of to yeah. a beat. I mean, they were friends with Fab Five Freddy. They actually named Check Him In It, and he's in the video. Yeah. So, like, he's, they're, like, they're cool with it. It's fine. But, yeah, they're not, yeah. like, running around saying, like, oh, shit, this bitch can rap. They're like, oh, that's cute. And it doesn't make any sense, because when I really listened to it, I was like, something about the men from Mars, and they eat cars, and they also eat buildings? Yeah. It, it doesn't make a ton of sense. Yeah, I no. just, you know what? Doesn't make a ton of sense. I don't... And... It's not great. Bless her heart, she's not very good at it, No. So. But trying counts. Trying counts, 100% is still a good song. I think at the time it probably sounded more impressive, but here we are in 2018 where that doesn't sound well, impressive anymore. it sounds impressive because all these white people are like, oh my god, a white lady is rapping. It's rapping. Oh my goodness, look at that. She's so good. She's so good. She's great. Oh my god. I like the rap. Look at it. 
White people are listening to the rap now. I'll listen to it now. But Aww. only this song. Only this one. Only I don't this like one. I don't like that Grandmaster Flash. That Easy E and that <laughs> Rapper's Delight. I don't I don't care for don't that song. No. No. Something about something about super sperm. I don't care for that. No. That's- Hotel Motel. What are they doing? Do they think this is a holiday inn? Say what? <laughs> so if it seems like things have escalated quickly here, that's because they totally have. But that's how it was back then. You put out an album. Maybe you tour for a hot second. Then immediately work on your next album. All that cocaine really helped with productivity. Yeah, it really makes you bust out them fucking albums. It does, though, because you gotta do it. Which I guess maybe that's why maybe that's why we don't bust out albums the way we used to because people aren't just being force fed coke the way they used to be. No, they're all smoking pot now, so it takes them a really long time. Yeah. <laughs> but worth it, I think. It's worth it. Yeah. But in '81, the band decided to take a break, so they all went off to do their own thing. Debbie worked on a solo album and a small acting career with parts in movies like Roadie and Videodrome. Jimmy Destry also put out a solo album. Chris Stein helped Debbie with her solo album. Clem Burke helped Jimmy with his. And Clem also did some work on the Eurythmics album In the Garden. Not to feel like he wasn't as productive as the other members, Frank Infante went ahead and sued Blondie, stating that he didn't have enough involvement when they worked on Auto American. You guys are doing too much and I feel left out. I'm going to sue you. Yeah, pretty much. He said that... They didn't let him have enough say when they recorded their last album. He was butthurt about it. This just seems Sued like them. something you really don't need to sue somebody about. Right? This is a conversation, not a trial. Yeah. This is stupid. I don't know what the terms were, but they apparently settled it out of court. But Frank still stayed in the fucking band, which is the even weirder part to me. Yeah. You're mad that you feel left out. You sue your band. But you're going to stay in it. It's kind of like how I feel when people sue their employers that are wrongly fired. Totally justified in suing them if if it's true that they wrongly fired you. Right. But why would you want to go back to that company that you just sued if you win? Yeah. Eh. I wouldn't think that that was part of the deal. Yeah, I wouldn't want to go back. No. No, that's not. No. No. Just give me the money and I'm I'm out. Take the money and run. Exactly. <laughs> Not really sure if they knew what the words take a break meant. Blondie gets back in the studio in 81. They work on The Hunter, which is released in 82. It's a concept album loosely based around the theme of searching and pursuing. Oh, Hunting, any- if you would. Uh-huh. Anytime somebody says concept album, I'm like, ooh. ooh. Unless you're like a progressive rock band that generally doesn't work out in your favor. Or a metal band. Some, yeah, metal band. Some metal bands make it work. Well, then, then, then progressive yeah. rock, metal, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Basically, if you're going to sing about elves and trees, you can fucking do it. But if you're going to be singing about weird concepts, probably not going to be able to do it. Yeah. Also, if you, no offense, if you're like, you know, a pop punk rock band. Stop it. No, honey, it's fine. Honey, no. Stop it. At this point, the drugs, the egos, the stress, the everything was proving to be too much for the band to bear. Recording this album was a mess professionally. Mike Chapman remembers so many fights 
And when they weren't doing that, they were just ignoring each other. <laughs> he said that there were points where they were seeming pretty violent, very moody, like moodier than normal. Sometimes they would just sit and stew and he would be like, like, they would do it for hours even. It's like everyone was going through puberty for yes. years. Yes. <laughs> that is exactly what it everyone sounds like. Blondie was just going through puberty for like five years. Yeah. In their 30s. Yeah. So at this point, they're all late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. Crazy pants. So to top this all off, the album was barely successful. It charted, but in comparison to their last albums, it wasn't at all a hit. And what's worse, their concert ticket sales were going down a bit as well. This band was on the fast track to breaking up, even without Chris getting sick. Hmm. Chris seemed to be ill pretty frequently. He wasn't able to keep up and everything was just only getting worse. It took some time, but he was finally diagnosed with pemphigus vulgaris, an autoimmune disease that leaves blisters on the skin and mucous membranes. If left it unchecked, he could have died. Yeah, he was very ill for a while. And it was at that that Debbie and the rest of the band decided to call it quits. It finally just reached the boiling point and it overflowed the pot. Chris's serious diagnosis only confirmed this. So with the help of Debbie by his side, Chris managed his illness after two years of treatment. However, much like their band, they would not stay together either. And by 1989, Chris and Debbie broke up. But to this day, they are still close friends and bandmates. That's good. So they broke up, but it was just one of those, they got older and they split apart. Wasn't anything. They were together for a really long time. A really long time. They were together for, I can math, like 13 years? That's a long time. That's a long time. So, I mean, you know, it's okay if you can't make it work. At this point, Chris is married and has kids, and Debbie's not married or has kids, but she's stated she doesn't want those things. Mm-hmm. So, good you know, for her. She's figured out what she wants and proud of you. She's happy with what she's doing. She really is an anomaly for for her time. Oh, 100%. Because not a whole lot of women from her generation outspokenly are like, I don't want to get married. I don't want to have kids. I don't want any of that shit. I want a career. I want to be successful and I want to do what I love. Right. Her expectation was to pop out kids after getting married and (laughs) have a miserable marriage that she just... Fucking stays in. Take care of kids the and then push her dreams she, on them. Until the day she fucking dies. That's what you're supposed to do. She was born in the 40s. Yeah. No, thanks. She's good. So everyone in the band went out to try their own thing musically. Whether it meant being a session musician or trying a solo career or just helping someone out with their new album. So there was light contact, but no pressure to start Blondie back up. Years passed. And like they say, time heals all butt hurts. <laughs> Or at least <laughs> I like to say that. Uh, I'm taking it. Oh my god, I want that on a cross stitch. Uh, Time heals all butt hurts. Uh, can I get a pin and a patch? I'll do I'll also do it a all. t-shirt <laughs> and a hat. All right, we're marketing it. <laughs> In 1996, Debbie, Chris, and Clem decided to try to get the gang back together for a little reunion. Gary Valentine and Jimmy Destry were on board, but unfortunately, the same can't be said of Nigel and Frank. Despite being offered the chance to perform, but turning it down on their own accord, they tried to sue their former bandmates for still using the name Blondie without them. Why? Did they have, like, partial ownership of the name? And that's the thing, too, that you need to remember. Blondie is Chris and Debbie. 
I think, too, you can make an argument for Clem, but Chris and Debbie were the founders of that band. They Everyone else was ones. a jump on. Yeah, they were the, they only, were the only ones that were original. The and, other ones came in later. Yeah, and I can't make any arguments for legalities, like if they own it, own it, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But Chris and Debbie are the band. Yeah. They have had people come and go on them so much that it is just their band. And they offered for you to fucking come back and you said no. Right. So, so you what can't right get... do you have? And no, here's the thing. Nobody else. They've had plenty of former members mm-hmm. and nobody else is getting mad at them. Right. So, I mean, even Gary Valentine, who was with them at the very beginning, only for the first album and then left. And he's like, I'll come back. Sure. So it's clearly there's something wrong with you guys. <laughs> he's just in the background like, hey, hey, I'll come back. That sounds like back. fun. All right. I'm over here. Over here, this sounds like a nice time. I got, I'm free. Obviously, the lawsuit didn't fucking pan out because I'm sure a judge laughed it out of court. So, the as much as it's gonna be reformed Blondie not only did some touring but put out a new album called No Exit in 1999, which included the hit single Maria, which I definitely remember coming out and I really liked it. That song fucking brings me back to like eighth grade, I think. Yeah. Definitely. Oh my god, eighth grade, ninth grade, some shit. It was like one of those, uh, uh, I think it was one of the first songs I downloaded off of Napster. Oh. Yeah. Just the song. I didn't want the album. I didn't want the album. Because you had to do one song at a time. I don't remember my first, I don't remember my first Napster song. Should have taken a picture of Baby's first Napster song. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it was that one and... Drain STH, I'm sure, was on there. <laughs> nice. I still fucking love that band. <laughs> I never got into them. I'm uh, not going to lie. I'm going to make you get into them because they were good. All right. And at least one more time, Nigel and Frank felt the need to play the pity game when they threw a bit of a passive-aggressive hissy fit about not being able to play with Blondie at their induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But why weren't they able to? Because at this point, Debbie, it's 2006. Mm-hmm. And they've been touring and playing for a while. And Debbie was like, no. They were on stage getting their awards. You you can find this video. I, I should post it. <laughs> it's cringy. They're getting their awards. Everybody's saying their words like you do. Mm-hmm. They get to they get to Frank. They get to Nigel. And Frank said, you know, I really like to perform for everybody tonight. But uh, I guess we can't do that. Debbie, come on. Can we play? Just one song? Let's play. You guys want to hear that, right? And Debbie just walks up. She's like, no, no, my band's up there ready to play. And just kind of like pats him and walks away. And he's like, oh, I guess I guess it's just not going to happen. Sorry, guys. And like kind of like passive aggressive butthurt. And then Nigel comes up and just basically says, oh, you know, watching these clips, it's like it's like being at my funeral. What? You're like, oh, it just, you know, it sucks to not be respected or something like that or be forgotten and well, whatever. how about you try not suing your bandmates? Well, that's, that's just it. I made the mistake of looking at the YouTube comments and everyone's like, Debbie's so classless, blah, blah, blah. Bitch, shut the fuck up. If I got sued by somebody twice... And they were like, but can we play at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? No, you lost your fucking right. I have asked you to come in reunion with us. You have said no. You left of your own accord, and you've sued me twice of your own accord. Yeah, fuck you. You think, oh, it's the fucking Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. This is what I've always dreamed of. You think you're going to be able to just swing on up here and forget all the bullshit you put me through? No. Fucking props to you, Debbie, Chris, and Clem, for putting your fucking foot down and being like, now we're going to keep everybody who's been standing by us and not suing us. Right. Thank you. Right. 
Fuck off, Frankie and Nigel. <laughs> fuck off, Frankie. Seriously, Frankie says, go fuck yourself. <laughs> Frankie says, I'm not relaxing. <laughs> I am angry. Don't do it, though. <laughs> Don't. Obviously, this video, when you listen to the audience, they are very uncomfortable. Like, there's very, like, sparse clapping. Like, do we clap? I don't know if we clap. What's going on? Why are they fighting? This is so weird. I, 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 I missed something. Neither Jimmy nor Gary would stay on for too long after this, though. The former dealing with a drug addiction and the latter just moving on to other things. As far as I know, I think Jimmy's clean now, though, which is good. That's good. Good for him. Yeah. At this point, their current lineup consists of Harry, Stein, and Burke, of course, and now includes Lee Fox on bass, Matt Katz-Bowen on keyboard, and Tommy Kessler on guitar. And up through now, Blondie has released four more albums since No Exit and still tour alongside the likes of Phil Collins, Pat Benatar, the Donnas, etc., etc. They're still going pretty strong. Their latest album, Pollinator, I listened to it today. That's actually a fucking real good album. I highly suggest people go out and listen to it. Mm-hmm. Like, it still has that blondie feel, but it doesn't sound dated. That's good. They do a really good job. So I highly suggest listening to Pollinator. So yeah, good for you, Blondie. You're still keeping it going. You're not stopping. It was only released last year. Hmm. Blondie's newer music doesn't really get the play the older stuff does. I think the only song that people know from their later category or their later catalog would be Maria. But it's kind of fun that they're like an older kind of underground. Yeah, they, they actually are kind of going back to like that underground scene because nobody's really playing them on pop anymore. But I kind of like that. Yeah. Like it's kind of like old school punk yeah. for the new generation. They're like, oh, fuck all you bands who they're like, people who dissed us we're still underground punk like they've been going for 40 years now mm-hmm. and they were popular in the pop scene 30 years ago yeah and everyone knows who they are but for some reason they're still kind of under the radar and that's awesome yeah because you know they're older songs and you don't and i'm even guilty of this I knew their older songs. I didn't really know their newer as much. But yeah. you listen to them and you're like, oh no, this shit's still real good. Yeah. And they still have it. Yeah. And they can do it and they they have the means to do it. Yeah. They so. have the legacy to stand on. To say, right. look, these are all the years that we've put into this. This is all the hard work that we've put into this. Yeah. So fuck you. We're going to do whatever we want now. Oh, it's still real good too. I've always liked them because they've... They've been mainstream, but they're kind of like the outcasts. They're kind of the black sheep of the mainstream pop MTV generation. Yeah. And I give them more respect, I think, because of that. They've always been kind of like, yeah, we're kind of just going to stand here off to the side of the of the billboard 200 and we're okay with that and we're totally fine with that because we're kind of punk and you know fuck you to the mainstream yeah you know i've always gotten that kind of vibe from them right and they are really this kind of band of all trades because they've experimented in so many different sounds but i also think that might have been why they weren't more popular because they weren't straight and narrow down Mm. one genre but that's also why I like them. Yeah. I wonder if they had just stayed to the straight and narrow, gotten a little popularity, if they would have just died off. Mm-hmm. 
I, I don't I think staying new and fresh and keeping up with new ideas keeps them invigorated and yeah. makes them keep going. I don't think they would have had the substance that they did yeah. if they stayed like mainstream pop. Oh no. And I feel like it I think they would have crashed and burned pretty hard. They probably would their popularity probably would have really soared, but they would have plummeted real quick, real hard. Yeah. And this was more of somebody, like a bumpy landing. Somebody would have overdosed, somebody would have died. Oh. It, it, somebody would have gotten a hole in their cranium from snorting coke or Too something. Much coke. Stevie Nicks. Oh, Stevie. But like some something terrible, really terrible would have happened. And they just kind of flew under that radar. Mm. And they're still going. They're still making music. They're in their 70s now. Hell yeah. And, and they all still look good. And, and they're they all, all still, still going. And they all still look good. They're all still alive. Yeah. So, which, is more, band, they're all alive. which is more you, than you can say for a lot of other bands from the same... From uh, the same exact scene. From the same, same scene, same same time frame. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I too, want to make the argument that I think the fact that they were willing to experiment with so many different sounds helped to create pop as we know it today. Yeah. You know, the fact that they were like, well, let's try a little disco. Let's try a little rap. Let's try a little reggae. They helped to kind of make those sounds more acceptable in popular music. Mm -hmm. I think, anyway, I think they helped to break that out. Mm -hmm. So... After that, you get a lot of more blatantly reggae. Yeah. Um, bands like UB40. Oh my god, I hate UB40. <laughs> I do too. But All right, well now I'm kind of sad. <laughs> yeah, sorry, but like, damn it. But we can't deny that UB40 was really popular for a time. They really were, even though. if we did not like them. Um, that was and, a great cover of Red Red uh, What's Wine his name? That um, no one asked for. <laughs> uh, is it Maxi Priest? Oh fuck! <laughs> it is it is Maxi Priest, but I cannot remember the name of the song. Go look up Maxi Priest. Yeah, go everybody. look up Maxi Priest because he was a very heavily reggae influenced pop star, and he he had like one super huge hit in the nineties, and then kind of just fell off. And then there was also like Arrested Development. Oh yeah. And Tony 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 and like they all had reggae influences in the 90s, so yeah. Really Blondie helped open some doors for people to I'm just going to throw this in there and see yeah. how that works. Or everyone's like, "Oh, what is this?" Yeah. So fucking thank Blondie for the reason pop is the way it is to, no maybe not, maybe not maybe not say that because I'm not in love with pop music right now also maybe think Blondie for Ska which I cannot um, I will I'm not going to thank them for that I will 100% thank them for Ska <laughs> I miss Ska bring Ska back please don't though oh no bring it back <laughs> no bring it back no bring back Ska no oh man no thank you I'm good I'm going to just torture you with Ska music Nope. Some Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Oh, God. Hell yeah. Oh, no. All right. Well, that was a nice, that was a nice, that was a nice fun topic. It was a good yeah. time. Blondie was a fun band to learn about. That was a nice um, palate cleanser after Guns N' Roses. Guns N' Roses was fun. <laughs> it was. It was just, we didn't expect to cover so many hours in one day. Oh, my God. Just a lot of hours. But it was fun. And if, you know, and if you don't know what we're talking about, 
maybe go back, maybe go listen to our old episodes, like our Guns N' Roses ones. Because mm-hmm. you can listen to them on, like, everything now. And Spotify. And fucking, we're finally on Spotify. Finally, after 30 episodes? Is What number are we on? 29. Yeah, after almost 30 episodes, we're finally on Spotify. Yeah. Yeah. So, thanks, Spotify. Wow. We are almost 30 episodes. At, we're, huh. Yeah. We're going to take a little minute. Look at us. I'm going to break my arm jerking myself off for a <laughs> second. Like, huh. That's not bad. And we're on Spotify. We're doing better. Guys, we are moving on up. And we wouldn't be able to do it without our loyal listeners. So, thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. And, you know, talking to us on social media, Twitter, at Rock Candy Pod. Facebook and Instagram at Rock Candy Podcast and our website's www.rockcandypodcast.com. You can always hit us up. We talk to people. We like it. It's good times. It's fun when we get like messages from people. Yeah. Because then I'll text you and be like, Maggie, we got an email. Well, what's really funny is you do Instagram and I do Twitter. So sometimes we'll have to, I'll have to be like, oh, this person's talking to us. And then you'll have to be like, but this person's talking to us. And then we have to like yeah. go on to the accounts and, and like you're check like things. sending me screenshots of Twitter and I'm like, I don't know how Twitter works. I don't understand what's going on. And I'm still like, what the fuck is a hashtag? <laughs> That's like the See, one saving grace about Twitter is because it's limited characters. I'm like, I just have to pick the prime hashtags, uh, which I know. You're good with them underground hashtags. See, also a do- good band name underground hashtags <laughs> stealing it it's ours now i mean hopefully nobody else has it hopefully we should just copyright all of these band names and then sell them at least just make the websites and sell the domain names <laughs> yeah. that's how we're gonna make our millions yes or like five dollars i'll take it that's fine like 50 bucks five dollars more than i have now hell yeah nice anyway all right cool so Tune in next week, kids, for more crazy, weird-ass, fucking happy, fun-time stories about music. Going a little bit more with our obvious beer month, even though it's leaking in August, but it doesn't matter. Whatever. Just roll with it. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. With Unintentional that, two-parters. Hell yeah. Hashtag. Hashtag party on Ashley. <laughs> party on Maggie. And party on, you crazy kids out there. Bye. Deuces.